0: Want, not need.
1: I I don't don't need need anything, Ray. If there's one thing you should know about me, Ray, it's that I I don't don't need need anything.
0: anything. I... Diane, it's 827 PM.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of Twin Peaks Peaks. My name is Ashley Brandt.
0: My name is Matthew Olson. Hello.
1: We are going to be talking about The Secret Diary of Laura Palmer, a book that originally came out between seasons one and two, but we are reading it in the gap between episodes eight and nine of The Return
0: reading it, or in my case, listening to the audiobook version, which was just released in May of this year, narrated the entire way through by Cheryl Lee. There are differences between those two experiences other than just audio versus on the page. The uh, printed version will tell you where a lot of pages are missing, ripped out, much like how we just discovered, what was it, three pages in the door of the sheriff's department bathroom just a few weeks back on the return
1: yeah there's one still to be found
0: so it's a good time to be talking about the secret diary of laura palmer isn't it
1: it is i mean if you (laughs) if you like fire walk with me but you just wish there wasn't a story and that it could be even more of a bummer this is the (sighs) book for you
0: <laughs> that's that's one way of describing it. We wanted to do something to to fill the gap between parts eight and nine. We tried to record this as of the current recording yesterday, but that was July 4th, and then Fireworks quickly put a stop to that. And we're gonna give it a second go here, and we're gonna go through at first, rather than touch on any of the bigger questions or our, you know, fuller takes on this, we're gonna go by you know, character by character basis to try and figure out for the characters that are part of the narrative in the secret diary, whether or not we've learned anything new about them. If Laura's perspective over these five years from ages 12 to 17, give us a a different picture of these characters. And we're going to start with our lovely boy who was actually a brat, Bobby Briggs.
1: Bobby, sweet. Sweet Bobby Briggs. Um, He is one of Laura's only confidants, the diary reveals.
0: Yeah, I'd say with the exception of the earlier parts where Laura is still very much close to Donna. Bobby is who Laura spends a lot of her time around in a unguarded sense going by the diary they dated for a few years
1: he's really the only person who is exposed to kind of the depths of not just laura's addiction but how really like tortured and and traumatized she is in the final few years of her life and
0: bobby is somewhat to blame in terms of introducing laura to certain people and by extension to certain drugs, Bobby is the one who introduces Laura to Leo and takes her to the party where I believe she meets both Leo and Jacques for the first time. And at that party is when Laura first encounters cocaine. Uh, And we know, of course, that then they get in the cocaine trade together. Uh, But it's confirmation that Bobby set her down this path somewhat. Uh, we also get confirmation that Bobby shot someone at age fifteen during a failed drug deal. Ashley, what did you think of that revelation?
1: You know that one just kind of rolled past me, like the revelation that Laura coined the term "meals on wheels."
0: <laughs> yeah, which is <laughs> sorry, we're gonna have to ding you for that one, Laura. That's just plagiarism. You did not, you did not create that from whole cloth. We, we've already gone over this once, you and I, in our in our past attempt at recording this, but I, I feel like I, it's crystallized a little bit more for me, is the notion of this book coming out between seasons and the idea that maybe David Lynch and Mark Frost had ideas for the backstories of these characters that they didn't necessarily think or want to, at that point, put on the screen. And then having fed some of that information to Jennifer, Jennifer, of course, being David's daughter, who was 22 at the time she wrote this. And Mark and David told Jennifer for the purposes of writing the diary who Killer Bob was. Laura does not tell the answer here, but one of the big appeals is like, we'll scatter those hints in. And I I wonder if the backstory of Bobby shooting someone was, at the time this was written, something that they didn't have a, a complete idea of, but they decided all right we'll include this in the diary and then by the time fire walk with me comes around the decision was made to actually depict roughly the same event in a different way because it's not the same exact event as described in the Mm -hmm. book but it's almost kind of hard to believe that bobby would have shot two different guys and two different messed up drug deals
1: i find that explanation much more compelling than the idea that bobby briggs has shot two people by the time that we meet him at the you know, Twin Peaks High School Library.
0: It, it's it's still kind of hard for me going from watching Fire Walk with me to the pilot to, like, feel that in Bobby. Yeah. But two people is, like, too much. So I wonder if it was a matter of, of plotting and reveals they wanted to do. We also learn a little bit about Shelley, though she's not really that present in the diary. We learn that, Laura pretty quickly caught on to Bobby's affection towards Shelley and imagine that while she and Bobby were kind of drifting apart at one point that Bobby would probably end up soon, if not was already uh, involved with Shelley. Uh, mm-hmm. But Laura also expresses this to Leo, who then of course reacts quite poorly to that idea.
1: Laura, for what it's worth, doesn't is pretty open about the fact that she's not, really romantically interested in Bobby. He's a source for cocaine. He is to a certain extent this idea of mundanity and of goodness that Laura has finds herself drawn to but unable to attain.
0: Yeah, early on Bobby is more of a comfort in their relationship, but by the time we get to 16, 17 years old, Laura's then like relationship Uh, on the side with Leo and Jacques like has driven Bobby away and it is more of like a transactional kind of thing especially regarding their cocaine dealing someone who we don't see as much of because apparently they were on the outs for much of their like mid teenage years is Donna though were you disappointed by not having that much Donna
1: no I mean I (laughs) one of the big takeaways from this book for me is the fact that like Donna and James were not shit to Laura
0: Absolutely.
1: There was like early in their friendship. I did feel some sympathy for Donna uh, in terms of like what she was being exposed to at a young age through her friendship with Laura. But then it becomes clear that like she's a shitty friend and like Laura doesn't particularly like care for that relationship.
0: Donna seems especially like a bad listener. It's not helped by the fact that Laura's going through some stuff, which given the circumstances, she feels like she can't share with anyone but it seems particularly like she can't share it with donna who was you know in her younger years her closest friend but donna's whole vibe and outlook is so overriding and alien to to laura's experience that one time when donna's describing her like ideal night of passion laura just feels trapped not just by the fact that Laura has gone through something different and also has different fantasies, but just trapped by how boring and sweet Donna's version is. And yeah. Donna's like assumption that that's perfection and that everyone would feel the same. Donna's bad, but not like Donna doing people dirty bad, right?
1: No, she's just boring. And I, and like while Bobby's mundanity sort of like draws Laura in, or this idea that they're part of this like image of everyday normal high school teenagers together. Donna's mundanity like repulses Laura
0: in a big way yeah we do get one scene that this book I guess if you were reading it between seasons one and two would set up which is when Donna and Laura are 13 and it's the same encounter that Donna describes to Harold Smith when she's scheming to actually steal this very diary from him about the time that they were approached by three 22 year old guys from canada when they were 13 outside of the roadhouse and then they went skinny dipping together and laura's version of that story of course is from a different perspective and goes into way more detail than the version donna tells but while listening to the audiobook uh i couldn't help but think of how donna like postures while she's telling that story like like it did remind me of donna engaging in schemes that end up with people getting hurt like lighting the cigarette while telling Harold and like it's two days later that Harold's dead because of Donna's meddling. We also don't see the other Hayward sisters, which I was a little disappointed about. I was hoping for maybe some or Harriet, but I guess Laura just didn't care about them either.
1: Nope. Laura is pretty tunnel vision throughout this whole diary. Laura writes
0: a lot of poetry and maybe she and Harriet would have gotten along. Who can say? Wow.
1: That's a great point.
0: Harriet's the only other person who writes poetry In Twin Peaks as far as I know maybe her and Winda Merle okay but
1: Maddie Is the one who suggests that Laura Writes some poetry in her diary
0: True and we learn A a lot about Maddie also that Donna and Maddie Apparently met way earlier because I think Like they're it's depicted as Them meeting for the first time in the show if I'm not mistaken
1: I think you're right about that
0: A little a little bit of a retcon but We'll ignore it yeah um Maddie is like a big presence and I'd say like what constitutes a first chapter of this the first few entries when Laura's newly 12 years old and has just received the diary and is writing in it like every day Maddie figures in that a lot.
1: Yeah, and she and Sarah Palmer are both portrayed as having a supernatural connection of sorts with Laura uh which is also shared by the log lady who is kind of one of the kinder presences in Laura's life when she's trying to figure out what is happening to her and what her experiences with the supernatural mean.
0: Yeah. We'll have to touch on the log lady. I think with regards to Maddie's early inclusion, we have to remember like Maddie is the one who brings a pack of cigarettes to Twin Peaks and uh, like eggs Laura and Donna into smoking with her. Uh, and is also, amongst them, she's the first of the three to have... I guess it's implied that she's slightly older, maybe? Um, yeah, but she's
1: she, 16. Um, okay. And Laura's 12 at the beginning yeah. of the
0: book. So she's already gone through puberty, and uh, there's a extended passage about tongue kissing and Donna finding that idea absolutely repulsive when Maddie describes it. Um, but I think that contrasts, interestingly, with... When Maddie's in Twin Peaks, there's then the tension that's created by James and Donna in a big way to become more like Laura that then Maddie has to push back against. Whereas here, it's almost like it's it's almost the other direction where Laura is willing to try things that Maddie is bringing into her sphere.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: Did you notice anything else with regards to Maddie or anything that might have at this point hinted at Maddie's fate?
1: No, I mean, she fades away pretty quickly, which I guess I was surprised by. She's like a figure when Laura is awakening to her adolescence and young womanhood. Um, But after that, she's very absent. There's like one instance where Laura says that she kind of psychically called out to Maddie, but that's kind of the last we hear of her.
0: Someone who's also... A, a a close female friend of Laura's who we learn a little bit more about but less than I was hoping to is Ronette and we learned that they again like I don't know why I, I had this idea of these things being much more compressed like you know ages 15 to 16 but before they even started hanging out and way before they ended up at like One-Eyed Jacks uh, Laura was aware of Ronette and wanted to actually become closer to Ronette
1: yeah there is this sense that Ronette understands laura's darkness not so much in a supernatural way but there is this sense that ronette can kind of fill in the gaps of donna's friendship she's kind of like the yin to donna's yang that might Mm -hmm. be a bad analogy but
0: I, i guess it was frustrating to not learn a little bit more about ronette in this case because we we don't really in the show to the point where it's shocking when you get to the season two finale and Ronette appears for that brief cameo. You learn a little bit more in Fire Walk with me, of course, but you get the passage where Laura talks about feeling attracted to Ronette and a little bit about their mutual or shared path, you know, Flesh World and One-Eyed Jack's, but it's not much beyond. Just the general arc of them going through those steps. Some more characterization I, I would have appreciated, I guess.
1: Yeah, definitely. It made me curious to see if we're going to hear from Ronette in the revival.
0: We have seen the actress, but I wonder if we're going to see her playing Ronette at any point.
1: Someone else who's weirdly present in the diary is uh, Ben Horn and and not Audrey. <laughs>
0: And not Audrey, but also Audrey by by way of absence. Uh, I mean, I actually did like how much Ben was involved because it wasn't overriding. It wasn't a ton. But right from the get-go, Laura's 12th birthday, she receives a pony named Troy. It's only a few weeks later after Laura finds out it was actually Ben Horn who bought the the pony. And Laura has... Some complicated feelings about Wondering why her father felt like He had to lie about who bought it Um and then she reflects back on How Ben has always been From you know starting at a young age Affectionate towards Laura and then She feels guilt about how She's seen Ben not Give a shit about Audrey
1: We do get a lot of Johnny Horn though which is a a huge Surprise
0: yeah I, I didn't feel super great about how Johnny Factored in
1: no, because he ultimately functions as more of a sounding board for Laura than anything else in the in the context of the secret diary
0: yeah it it just feels like Laura has few people that she can confide in, and once she starts working with johnny uh johnny's like Johnny's disability prevents him from really understanding what laura is telling him or interacting with her in a in a real way and that that sort of comfort from being around johnny feels exploitative is maybe too strong of a word but it laura makes it about her maybe it was kind of just like a have to tick the box like we've mentioned this as part of laura's backstory what can we do with this angle i don't know
1: yeah i think that the novel goes out of its way in some sense to reinforce the idea of Laura as the all American girl, touches on Johnny, Meals on Wheels, touches on academics a little bit. Like it, it glosses over it in a way that I find believable that these aspects of Laura's life are so come so easily to her and are so mundane that it barely like registers to her that she is so successful in these other areas of her life. Um, But it does kind of go out of its way to remind the reader that she is keeping up the appearance that we hear people allude to throughout the first season.
0: Or along the same note as Johnny Horn, there's the other person in town who Laura sort of does volunteer work with, which is Josie Packard. And I really bristled at Josie's inclusion here and like what it set up.
1: Yeah, Uh, Laura's comments are really that Josie doesn't seem to be trying to get better at English. It seems to be hinting at the Andrew Eckhart storyline that emerges in season two and this idea that Josie is a much darker person than she appeared in season one, but it goes about it in kind of a sloppy, shoehorned way where it really reads more like character defamation than anything else. Somehow Laura already
0: is aware that Josie was a sex worker and I don't think that that's something that is brought up in season one and then they they apparently have sex together and Laura laments like how oftentimes her relationships that don't start that way veer towards that but it's tossed off and seems entirely it's entirely unnecessary to understanding Laura or Josie really. It doesn't it feels so out of place to me.
1: Yeah, definitely. But those are that's kind of the cast of characters that Laura surrounds herself with uh in the diary. The other two big players surprisingly big players are Leo Johnson and Jacques Renault who I was surprised by their treatment in the novel. I think it's it's definitely tainted by the abuse that Laura has been through and the situation that she's in. Um, I really bristled at the novel's attempt to like humanize the two worst characters on the show.
0: I didn't see it as, I didn't necessarily read it as humanizing, but I definitely struggled with it because one thing I was constantly expecting was like the other shoe to drop with them. Like we think about Laura's like last night alive and she's with those two and they're not treating her well. They're not attending to her concerns. She's freaked out by what they're doing, but the many years, like two, three years, is it that she knows Leo and Jacques? uh, There's never a falling out. And there's even a moment or two where they seem like concerned for Laura, but I don't read that as humanizing. I just read it as almost confusing. Like, they didn't become bad they were bad but laura was fine with that it seems like throughout all that time and it just doesn't see it almost doesn't seem plausible i guess because we know how bad both of those two are and you would have expected like them to show their card as abusers and not as like i don't know like bdsm sex fiends i don't know it doesn't read right that there would never have been like a period where laura wanted to have distance from them or something
1: yeah and i think a lot of it has to do with the bar for laura's interactions with men being set so low like very very low yeah the fact that she can like be in distress and they can take notice of it without taking pleasure in it seemingly at times is like a big thing for laura in the context of this book
0: yeah like any, any notion that she can express being upset and the like compared to the constant torment from Bob or like threat of torment at times, because there's also times where Bob's is seemingly absent and then Laura struggles with that like absence and, and waiting for the other shoe to drop. Uh it is agonizing. And I, I, I guess I mean part of my discomfort is like we get so much time with Laura describing like her time with Leo and Jacques. There's a lot of Passages describing that time And it's uncomfortable the whole way throughout Because you know at at the end of the day She's still being taken advantage of no matter
1: Oh definitely like This is statutory rape
0: Yeah there's no Other way to look at it and I guess I mean both of us sitting in our Discomfort just with how much There was right Um, I I don't have anything else to to Say on that point I mean (laughs) We do also get a Really like I feel like poorly written scene between Laura and Blackie that explains when Laura got kicked out of One-Eyed Jacks completely unnecessary. Um,
1: that is like my least favorite scene in the entire book. In, in the tops, entirety of that Twin tops, Peaks. Yeah, that, that scene tops Laura like coining Meals on Wheels. That tops Bobby killing two people. Like that scene is should have been taken out of that book.
0: It's it's so dumb. Uh, We don't even need to get into it more here. And and also, I don't want to say like, I mean, maybe the last five minutes we're talking about things that uh, choices that we thought were weird or scenes that we didn't like or long stretches that made us uncomfortable. I did get a lot out of listening to this and not just because I think Shirley has a great performance reading it, but um, there are scenes that are lighter and that do shed light on um characters in a new way and it's not just like oh maddie bring the cigarettes some of the scenes between laura and bobby early on where bobby shows some of his vulnerability that we have to wait a little bit to see in the first season of the show i appreciated
1: that scene with bobby is so sweet
0: uh are we are we talking about basically their first time
1: yeah and then he calls her and he's like i'm sorry i said that i love you
0: yeah, he immediately drops the 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 love bomb on Laura, and Laura, like like anyone, this is like separate from everything Laura's going through. Is just like not sure how to process. Yeah, but then he
1: calls her and he's like, "I'm sorry that I said that so soon, but I totally stand by it. But also, I shouldn't have dropped you, dropped it on you like that."
0: Yeah, that scene that scene is like a standout, and another one. Uh, I, I want to make sure we, we give a lot of time to is the scene between Laura and Margaret Lanterman aka the log lady which happens pretty early on in the chronology it happens when is 13 she has a dream and in the dream she sees an address uh, a building in the in the town and she decides the next day to go out there and uh, when she's there she meets the log lady there um, and, and Laura knows who the log lady is at this point yeah they have like you mentioned earlier this kind of psychic connection i have the quote here somewhere i dream like other people sometimes it just happens that's the log lady uh some other quotes i i want to read off before we get into th- the tone of the scene um sometimes the woods are a place to learn about things and to learn about yourself other times the woods are a place for other people to be and are not for us sometimes people go camping and learn things they shouldn't and owls are sometimes big so some choice Log Lady lines, but also it's a really like they spend the entire day together and it's a really sweet scene. And, and Laura is struck by the Log Lady's humanity because I guess it's the first time she's seen the Log Lady as anyone but like the gum chewing light switch flicking person who hovers around Twin Peaks and gets to know Margaret. And we also then that same day, Sarah Palmer tells Laura what happened to the Log Lady's husband. I think this is the first time that story was communicated in uh, in a piece of Twin Peaks media.
1: Yeah, and I think it actually contradicts another story that we've heard about Margaret's husband. One story, I want to say this is from secret history, but it might just honestly be from the recesses of my own mind. Uh, one version is that he was a logger who was mm-hmm. killed in a fire. But the version we get in the secret diary is that he's a firefighter and that he dies in this horrible, gruesome way where he trips face-first into a fire.
0: Yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember if the secret history says logger or if it says some kind of obscure forest service job that might be like a combination of firefighter and logger, but we also have to consider, like, Sarah Palmer might just be, like, relaying the scuttlebutt she heard. I think this is the first time in Twin Peaks media where they're making the clear link between the log lady's log and... uh, like the passing of her husband. But also, I mean, I, I just really liked that scene because it seemed like Laura uh, at that point, like it, it it was not nearly as dark as things got, but Laura was already dealing with uh, being visited by Bob and, and the, the torment of that. And it was a, like a, a, a single day of like positivity. Uh, and I think it was also just written and acted really well. D- did you have any takeaways or any like, hints from the log lady that stuck with you
1: no i mean i think you covered them a lot of like ominous owl talk as always
0: yeah owl talk and and owls do crop up from time to time in in laura's dreams and and i think in laura's poetry there's also early on there's just one point where she apparently hoots in her sleep and then is worried that sarah is going to tell that story to everyone
1: it's uh it's endearing
0: yeah i I would say like uh, especially in the earlier parts uh Laura's embarrassment at Sarah being such a mom. I I also like those parts.
1: Yeah. Her, the style of writing really does evolve over the course of the novel between the ages of 12 and, and 16, which is nice.
0: Now let's move into, to bigger questions, I guess the first of which, uh, do we feel like the, the missing pages that we've just seen in the show? I mean, those pages at this point, this is, pre-fire walk with me so honestly at this point it might be pre-Annie when this book was being written it, it, in the show they're there to set up uh, knowing Cooper's uh, location or rather that Cooper's, Cooper's doppelganger is out in the world but do do the missing pages fit in with this or do we see any other big echoes of the return in this book?
1: I don't really think so I think if we see more of Cheryl Lee it could definitely become relevant but I think that the missing pages are probably more explicitly set up by Firewalk with me
0: there are a few points where especially after part 8 I saw some things that like a long shot could be related and I'm I, i I'm not saying like and now I'm convinced that they are but some things that are especially after the most recent part uh at the time of this recording interesting um, there's a point where Laura gets high with Bobby and they just start having typical we're high talk. Um, Specifically, like they smoke a joint and uh, mm-hmm. they get on the idea of multiple universes. And then
1: I thought this was with Donna.
0: It might have been with Donna. I think um, it's
1: with Donna and the Canadian boys.
0: It might. Oh, you're, you might be right. At any point, th- this is the quote that stuck out to me maybe this universe is just a speck of lint on a huge giant sweater that he hasn't noticed. Just saying just any, anything about a giant now uh, yeah. and, and multiple universes is, is interesting to me. Uh, I don't think also, again, I want to reiterate, I'm not trying to like theory craft here out of any of these, but they, they have an interesting resonance. Now, Laura talking about Bob, this mother nature has not done away with its evil. Instead it cradles this man. He knows this planet will not betray him. Uh, and then there's also a point very close to the events of Fire Walk with Me, where Laura's doing uh, the Laura Palmer Meals on Wheels program, uh, invented wholly by Laura Palmer, um, and she's out at uh, the the trailers. And Pierre Tremond, uh, who apparently Laura has interacted with, but the young Tremond boy pulls a gold coin out of Laura's ear and just walks away. So those were the those were the connections I saw, or or echoes of the return that I saw. But I don't I. We'll get into how I don't think that those are going to necessarily mean anything.
1: I think all of that, with probably the exception of the giant's sweater, appear in some form or are referenced in Firewalk With Me.
0: Yeah. Um, Tremon's magic tricks. I mean, we see that when we meet the Tremon boy doing the, the creamed corn trick. Uh,
1: that's We do find out that one of Laura's favorite foods is creamed corn. I think we already knew that, but Creamed Corn was specifically mentioned.
0: Yes, it was. Um, In terms of other hints or connections, I mean, the big pitch for this book at the time it came out was, you know, if you have access to Laura's diary, you might be able to figure out who the killer is. Um, I didn't really feel like I caught on to any parts that were hinting at uh, the, the Bob Leland identity. Um, n- nothing stuck out to me as like, especially, I mean, knowing it, you know, hitting me over the head with that information. What about you?
1: No, I agree. I think when we first recorded this, you said that maybe Leland's kind of absence in the diary was conspicuous. And I, I think I agree uh, because we do get some of Sarah, but we get very little Leland comparatively. And what we do get is Leland, who wants to have a healthy relationship with his daughter, but is somewhat absent otherwise.
0: Yeah. That's the only thing that I could kind of pull from it. Um, There's a line uh, where, where Bob sort of writing through Laura, which I guess we'll get into that mechanic and that conceit of the, of the diary. Bob says, I am what you fear I could be, but that's just so vague and, and, ominous you know while Leland's absent I feel like Laura doesn't write much about uh, doesn't write much about her parents unless it's in direct reference to something that happened so Laura's fears other than her her fears of Bob aren't entered in as like other evidence that much I feel like yeah the big thing the, the thing that the diary is a huge heaping helping of and obviously goes places you couldn't go on network TV and wouldn't go even nowadays or necessarily trust david and mark to handle i would say um is the gender politics and and laura's sexuality in in a more upfront way and in long descriptive passages i i there's a lot going on and i don't feel qualified to speak on a lot of it but you have some notes here that (laughs) i imagine you want to go into you've added to these notes since we started But yeah. you don't have to go into everything either. This is not I'm not trying to put this all on you, Ashley.
1: No, no, I know. It's just like my brain is like wired to like read things in this way and like do these kinds of analyses. So it feels very like typical me that like I'm making this argument, but like this is what I'm here for, I guess. Um So the novel makes a lot of oblique references to Laura being attracted to women. Ronette is one of them. There is another woman who Laura is attracted to she talks about having fantasies that involve both men and women um and the word bisexual doesn't seem to exist in Laura's diary and there's definitely a question like does she have that vocabulary does Jennifer Lynch have that vocabulary you know at the time she was writing is the secret diary itself a product of bisexual erasure that's definitely a possibility or could we look at this from a few other angles one perhaps being the idea that as a result of Laura's abuse hypersexuality has kind of pervaded all of her relationships and to a certain extent she doesn't know how to have friendships or relationships that are platonic therefore her desire to become friends with Rona kind of gets crossed with this idea of sexual attraction
0: Same with uh, Harold, who she notes is not uh, like initially open to sexual relationships, uh, but then she feels like pushes him towards those.
1: Yes. The other kind of side of that coin, though, would be uh, compulsory heterosexuality and Laura's being brought up Laura's abuse from such a young age and the way that heterosexuality is foisted upon her and the way that heteronormativity is foisted upon her in that manner, but also the way it's kind of reflected around her and in these expectations of Laura, you know, because of who she is in the town, Um, you know, because she's so exposed to these relationships with men and she's so conditioned to accept them and maybe even to seek them out, like, Does that obscure her sexuality from her? Does that obscure her attraction to women from her? Does it make it so that she can't fully kind of differentiate her attractions to different genders and like examine what they might mean? Um, You know, these are questions that the diary doesn't seem to be attempting to answer, but they're questions that I have.
0: They're questions that whether or not they're intended, they're certainly raised, right? Um, Yeah. I I I think you're you're absolutely right to to bring up the question of like does this vocabulary exist for the book's authors and and for the people kind of creating this character, um, but I think some of this has to be intended right to 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 leave these questions open like, right?
1: And the the thing that was really significant to me was that Bob taunts Laura by calling her a lesbian yeah. twice, and that depending on how we understand Bob. Could be a reflection of Laura's kind of fear of being perceived as a lesbian. It could be a product of Laura's insecurity. It could be a reflection of the homophobia that she's kind of internalized. It could be the result of a lot of things, but it's very significant to me that that becomes kind of a pain point for her in that relationship with Bob
0: yeah and there's a lot of taunting from Bob uh like more so than I expected. I mean, Bob's abuse happens throughout the book and the way we understand it too through the show and Fire Walk with me, but also at points Bob seems capable of writing in the diary or writing through Laura in a sort of like semi possession and so I mean, it reads to me like a conceit set up to have some kind of dialogue playing out, and and maybe just you know scatter some of those hints as to Bob's identity throughout the book. And I don't want to get too much into like the whole like question of how that possession works, but you also find out that through some more and some less explicit references that like Bob's abuse also included cutting. And then in these diary dialogues, I guess, included this verbal abuse and and explicitly playing on Laura's fears and self-perception and then playing with Laura's own sense of reality. Is Bob real? Is not real? Bob, as we understand Bob in the book, engages with that fear directly. Um, And at points seems to be, you know, leaving Laura alone for stretches of time as to only let that anxiety that Laura has build. It's some of the the roughest stuff to, to listen to in the audio book. Um, Cheryl Lee also, I, th- I think, does a, a really effective job for the most part, having a different voice and having it be really effectively creepy in those passages as Bob. The volume of the abuse and the different forms it takes are, they're, they're real hard to listen to. Kind of like you said at the top of the show, if you just wanted six hours of the bleakest parts of Fire Walk with me, it's kind of this.
1: yeah. And I think one thing that the novel does really well, and something that I think it does very consciously, is it portrays this kind of conflation or this confluence of Laura's own sexual awakening independent from Bob and the way that it is affected by her abuse. And I think it does a really good job of portraying the complexity of being a young girl and waking up to your sexuality but also yourself as a sexual object and the way that those can be the same thing um in a very unhealthy way and i think that's not just unique to Laura i think that like speaks to a lot of like young women's experiences as they try to understand like their sexuality and their sexual agency while kind of ob absorbing this sexualization that's all around them that they have no power over and the way laura seems to kind of be struggling to gain power over the people who sexualize her and it seems to be both a product of the sexualization from people like leo and Jacques, and also a product of the abuse that she's facing from bob
0: Yeah, I think that balance is absolutely worth noting as sort of um, a a major aim of the book and something that I think, uh, you know, it it has some successes in. And I'm reminded of Cheryl Lee talking about um, both survivors of trauma coming up to her after the release of Fire Walk with me and, and talking about how that film portrayed abuse in a way that was empathetic and, and it points helped people process and Shirley's Lee's comments also of the diary being sort of like a gift from Jennifer Lynch in terms of better understanding Laura's character and, and leading into fire walk with me is like a helpful tool in, in, in the acting process and in preparing for that role. There's definitely connective tissue there in terms of like, the the themes it's exploring and the treatment and how that's expressed um, through Laura in the film.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think the world of Twin Peaks that we're inhabiting in The Secret Diary is actually like, dare I say, a little more I don't want to say a little more feminist, a little more aware of gender politics than the world that we see in the TV series. I was really struck by the inclusion of the detail that Bobby as a young boy like pulled Laura's pigtails um, Mm -hmm. and Laura's kind of visceral reaction to the notion that she and Bobby were going to get together and that this was like a cute like flirtatious thing that he was doing and the person propagating that is Norma who we know is in an unhealthy relationship with Hank at the time Um, and that you know pigtail pulling is sort of a microcosm of the way that Young girls are socialized to accept abuse, you know, on a spectrum going from kind of the mundane things like pigtail pulling and negging or whatever you want to call it, um, going all the way up to kind of what Laura is experiencing with Bob.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's, it's absolutely not a stretch to say this book yeah. has more complicated gender politics than the show, the show where we have like, I don't I don't even want to get into it, but like, I don't know. Uh, Lana Milford.
1: Yeah. I mean, the the strange thing that I don't really know what to make of, though, is the rampant inclusion of some, like, daddy kink. Yeah. I mean,
0: this is... I mean, this kind of ties into us talking about like Ben Horn's inclusion in the book, right? Because we know that there was a, a, after a certain point of relationship there, a sexual relationship between Laura and him. And, and then uses in, in the show as a red herring to set up, uh, uh, Ben as potentially being the identity of Bob. Um, I don't know what to make of it. I, it's there. Uh, it's certainly there. I don't.
1: Well, and it's not just like, with Ben, with Jacques and with Leo and Laura is taking on different roles or, like, mothering. There's a lot of, like, within these sexual worlds, like, changing roles between mother and kind of juvenile daughter. And it gets into kind of, like, a semi, like, Madonna whore thing. But it also, I think, reminds me of kind of how I've been trying to make sense of Janie E's character in Hmm. The Return. Um, And this idea that like women are of these two specific roles, but that, you know, obviously that that's that's a false binary. Um, I don't really know if that's what the novel was trying to do. I mean, there are definitely like instances where it's just kind of like something shocking has been written and it you don't really know if you should be making more of it than you.
0: There are points where. Laura explicitly calls to attention, like this is my secret diary. There's a point at which she she knows that someone's f- physically gotten a hold of it, and and she decides to turn this diary into her secret diary and create the the fake one that's found in her bedroom initially, um, like reminding the reader that they're not supposed to be reading this, and that a lot of what they are reading is in no way, shape, or form for your consumption, and like that's also signaling the book is like written to, to reinforce that sense in terms of where the, the places it goes, the, the shock that it delivers at points. um, Like it, it made me legitimately uncomfortable, not just in the sense of what I was hearing at points, but in times of like thinking of, you know, maybe in like a meta sense, like the, the Twin Peaks fever at this point being so hot that everyone is rushing to to bookstores to read like this sad diary account of a troubled 17 year old. It's a weird thing to have created a media television primetime event around. Um, and it calls, it tries to remind you of that and bring you back to that. So I, ma- I also imagine like for people who were just like, I love this goofy weird show. We're probably initially at the time, maybe not the hugest fans of this work. It's sort of like the backlash to fire Walk with me.
1: Yeah, I would certainly think that these are kind of cut from the same cloth.
0: Damn, I just realized we should have brought up the alt. Twin Peaks uh, reactions to this book coming out.
1: I kind of like don't even want to know.
0: <laughs> Actually, maybe you're right. <laughs> Yikes. I guess the biggest question we have left on the table is whether or not you and I think this is essential reading for for fans of Twin Peaks. Ashley, what's 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 your feeling on that?
1: Um I mean, I stand by what I said. Like, there's not really a story, except for Laura's decline. There's no kind of like development or like rising action. It's just like things continue to get worse. If you're into that, maybe this is the book for you. I will say, okay, there is a version out there that is a PDF where the pages are not in the right order, and I like that version better. <laughs> you, you and I'll like tell you to why. Work at it. <laughs> I will tell you why. Because I think when you present it like that and you're juxtaposing 16-year-old Laura and 12-year-old Laura and kind of jumbling up these, like, versions of Laura as her identity is emerging and as her identity kind of splits into what she calls the two Lauras, I think that's in terms – because this book is about experience and this book is about um, a character study and it's about being close to Laura – I think that fragmented version is much more interesting. It's a much more postmodern portrayal of identity and our attempts to like make our identity cohesive um, and sort of the fragmentation of self.
0: So it's a disappointment that it's not actually, that's not the intent, right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) I mean like Cheryl Lee's performance is great. I'm going to say that.
0: Yeah. I will say uh, if, if if I think, there's a version to recommend I would recommend the audio book just because I think that Shirley's performance adds a lot to both the, the lighter moments and the darker moments compared to just like reading it on the page and, and trying to conjure that voice um, but it, that's that's again a, a personal taste thing I would say though on that same note about Shirley's performance I feel like a lot of what this book depicts both in terms of important traits and and sort of i guess you know more important story beats like we get interactions between laura and other characters in the film that kind of tell us those same stories in a a much shorter span of time uh and and kind of with the same effect and the most affecting parts of the audiobook you know these passages from laura's youth and and shirley's performance Like the performance in Fire Walk with me has those same strengths, if not being stronger by virtue of like the the film medium. I don't know. Like it feels non-essential to me in that way, because it feels like not like it's retreading the same ground. And of course, this came out first, but like the film accomplishes what seems like the the Secret Diaries major mission is if you skipped it, you wouldn't be sorely lacking anything.
1: Yeah, I think like the most valuable insight that I don't think we get in other pieces of Twin Peaks media is honestly like the relationship between Laura and Bobby and kind of like sweetening that little friendship. But like, that's not essential.
0: The the, the little details along the way, like some of the just the the small, smaller personal tragedies that happened to Laura along the way. They just like suck the life out of you as you're listening or reading along. And
1: her cat, her pony.
0: Yeah, um, yeah. God, that's that's not that's barely scratching the surface of it. But maybe you've listened to it and read it. Maybe you haven't. At this point, I, I, again, if if you want to listen to it, I, I don't think you'll you'll walk away from the experience necessarily disappointed. But I guess if you're taking our recommendation, I don't know. I would say. Part nine is, what, four days away at this point, Ashley?
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I would say read it, but it's not a novel. It's just a character study. And I don't know. Go in knowing that. How do we
0: feel about this compared to the other Twin Peaks book we've covered? Like, I guess (laughs) I
1: I feel like you're going to prefer secret history, but I would probably take secret diary.
0: Um. I, I would not be able to come down either way on, like, what I prefer. I can't remember what I said on the on the show at the time and how I was feeling at the time. But now that we're, you know, approximately halfway through the return, Mark Frost gave you the Twin Peaks book that's full of hints, right? And, and, and pieces to piece together a mystery. And Jennifer Lynch wrote the book that's the character study of Laura. And, like, one without the other doesn't feel like the sum of Twin Peaks, right? So
1: I mean fair. One feels like the sum of Fire Walk With Me, though.
0: A little bit. I mean, Fire Walk With Me still has a large section dealing with Teresa Banks and yeah. So it I appreciate Fire Walk With Me because it's Laura's movie first and foremost, but it's not like that stuff's absent. Whereas like aside from a few cryptic log lady things and the Tremons popping their heads in, it's not really here. But you also don't get Laura at all in the secret history, so they're both they're both like different angles on the story um and unless there's like some real heady like code breaker type stuff in secret history we don't know about, like it feels just as non essential to me right now, like I still wouldn't say if someone's struggling with their turn right now, go read Secret history, yeah. Now the question is are we going to do Dale Cooper's my life my tapes at any point?
1: I mean, I feel like we might have to now.
0: Now that now that we've broken the seal and done a done a second book. I think so. Well, maybe we will, but not anytime soon cuz thank goodness the the gap is almost over. Part 9 is airing soon and we will of course cover that hopefully at the regular time and yeah looking forward to seeing what happens after the frog moths oh boy um ashley do you want to start with your plugs i feel like we normally go the other order maybe we'll switch things up this time
1: okay well you can find me on twitter at ashley Brandt. i'm there um hit me up for those hot gender takes (laughs) and uh the k-hole Brooke and I are going to be recording an emergency episode um, after today's breaking Kardashian news. Oh boy, I heard the breaking
0: Kardashian news of today. Yeah, it's real real bad. bad. Well, again, I think people should should try the K hole out because they might walk away going, "I need to I need to learn about this stuff." (laughs) You you know today's breaking news. I immediately clicked on a link as soon as I heard rumblings on it. I was like, "I gotta know now." At least so you and I can have a conversation about it. Um, I'm Matthew Olson. You can find me on Twitter. It's at Matthew Olson. uh, Spell it right. I do another show with my friend Caitlin Best. It's called Can You Get To That? But we've been on a little hiatus because Caitlin's been traveling and just like the schedule has not worked out. We'll be back with new episodes soon. Uh, I think I plugged this last time we talked about a book, but if you want to really hear me talk about a book um (laughs) I'm still paying for hosting, so I might as well plug it. Uh, I did a podcast a mini series, but it's 14 hours of content um, called "Finite Jest" with my friend Alex Clute. Uh, he joined me on a six-week-long journey to read all of David Foster Wallace's "Infinite Jest," and those are like two-hour-long episodes where we drink a lot of Rolling Rock and talk a lot about bands and then sometimes about the book um, <laughs> I don't know I've some people like it I'm still paying for hosting you can find that it's jest.simplecast.fm. of course Twin Peaks Peaks is available it's Twin Peaks, peaks.simplecast.fm judging by our stats I know 50% of you are coming through iTunes it'd be real great if you would leave us a review and a rating on there it helps other people find the show and as always, hit us up on Twitter. It's at Twin Peaks Peaks. You know where. We've started signing the tweets that are like personally from us with like <laughs> dash F <M laughs> dash A. Long overdue. So you'll hopefully you'll know who's replying uh, and it won't be a guessing game. Did you prepare a thing to say at the end? Because it's <laughs> no, such I a non standard episode. Oh boy. I didn't. I mean, Uh,
1: there's no reason why you
0: have to quote from the book. You could just go with the classic.
1: I know. I was going to, that was my backup plan. All right. We'll just go with the classic. Don't forget to brush your teeth, Harriet.